Hey guys, it's Melissa here from MelissaOatman.com. Welcome to Awaken Your Inner Awesomeness, a daily podcast devoted to spirituality and self-help. If you're new, I want to welcome you. If you're returning, welcome back. I'm very, very excited today because we have a special guest with us. We have Ms. Mudernan Webster, who is a psychotherapist and also the author of the book, The Stressless Brain. And I'm super, super excited to really get into this topic because I know that there are so many people out there with the pandemic and everything that is going on who are experiencing massive levels of stress lately. So I am very, very excited to jump into this conversation. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. So why don't you just start by telling us a little bit about yourself and then a little bit about your book and, and kind of why you wrote it and, and how it can help people. Sounds great. So um, as you mentioned, I'm a psychotherapist. I have a private practice in Northern California in Napa Valley. And um, I, the reason I wrote a book is because over the years of being a therapist, I've, I've read and researched a lot of self-help books. And there's so, I mean, like you could throw a stone, you'd hit probably five of them. And one of the things that I found was lacking in a lot of self-help books is that you would be reading it and there'd be so much empathy, you know, oh yes, oh, they get me, I am feeling this. Oh yes, but they understand me, I am feeling that. And then when you finish the book, sometimes you, you feel heard, but then what do I do? Like the section on what you actually can do to change your pain, your habits, your thinking, <clears throat> you know, any of those things. It's a very small section of the book or it's very confusing. Like it's not a step by step. This is what you do when this happens. This is what you do when that happens. And not that one formula fits all, but I really found disheartened. I felt kind of like, you know, clients come to me and, you know, there is solution-focused therapy, which is very much about creating change in your life and really rolling up your sleeves and getting busy. And yes, there is a time when you need time to really move through and understand, like, why am I feeling this way? What's the history? But ultimately, you don't want to be in therapy for 20 years or read, you know, 30 books and just have empathy. You want, I think, at some point, happiness comes from change. So... Um, so that's why I wrote a book because, um, I wanted people to actually have something concrete that once you're reading the book, there are more than half the book is tools. That's fantastic because we've talked about this on my podcast before that counseling is great, but there are a lot of counselors out there who want to focus solely on the past and how did you get where you are? But then there's not a lot of work on how do you change it and how do you how do you achieve the goals you want to achieve for the future? So I really, really like that you're incorporating that in your book and in your work. So kudos for that. Thank you. <laughs> I know it, it's, it, it, you know, I've had clients before when they interview me to, to work with me, like they say, I don't want to spend a whole bunch of time talking about my parents. And I'm like, okay, well, what do you, then I say, well, what do you want? What are you hoping when you're done working with me and you walk out of here, what's going to be different in your life? And then we work from there. That's really cool because I don't think a lot of therapists even ask that in the beginning, you know, where do you want to be in six months from now? And what you're doing reminds me a lot of coaching, but you're also including the science behind that too, which is great. That's a really, really awesome pairing. 
Yeah, because, you know, sometimes, you know, when we're hurting or stuck in life or feeling anxious, depressed, and maybe we're functioning, but we're not functioning at our best, or we're just kind of getting by, especially with COVID and all, it is sometimes difficult to just be like, okay, I'm doing this because of my past. And so it's being able to look at what's happening scientifically, like what's happening in your brain and how the past might impact your brain or how your thinking impacts your feelings. And it's your feelings that impact how you behave. Yeah, that's interesting. And I just posted something on my social media today about the different types of trauma responses that people have and how you have the fight or the flight and, you know, the different levels. And it's very interesting. And I had um, someone comment and say, oh, I, I see myself in a few of these and I said, well, you know, these are just guides. It doesn't mean that you're exactly, you have to fit into this little bookshelf. So I love the open-mindedness of that, that, you know, you're willing to take the individual and tailor to that person's needs, which I think a lot of people try to be a one size fits all approach to counseling, which doesn't always work very well. So true. Another piece of therapy is liking your therapist and feeling connected to your therapist and trusting him or her is a huge part of the success of therapy. If you don't, do not waste your time and money. Find somebody else. Yeah, that is so true. My daughter, she was going to counseling and um, the last 20 minutes was like silence, you know, and the counselor wasn't really making her say anything or do anything. And they were just sitting there. And I'm like, I'm not paying you <laughs> for silence. You know? like, no, this is not working. And, and you're so true. Like, you're so right. You have to find somebody that fits. Yeah. You know, and that's it. You know, the, like the past piece, I know a lot of therapists like to talk about the past, like, how's your relationship with your mom? How's your relationship with your dad? And so forth. And oh, there's a car, sorry. Um, part of, I tell people, the past is important when you want to look at the lenses that you look at your life through. So, so when you're having anxiety or depression or anger tendencies or withdrawal tendencies or scared tendencies, those lenses that kind of go, whoosh, and sometimes we don't even notice that they've come into place and we're looking through a lens, but we'll know because we're suddenly feeling different. And then what happens though, is if we're not aware of this as a lens, then we're gonna look at that moment in time that that's true, but we're not realized it's being distorted by the lens and the lens is the past. So the past is good to look at if you're using it as at an understanding of why am I looking at my life now? But the next step is I can change that lens. And that's the here and now. And that's where sometimes I think we get stuck because we spend so much time you know, I, I was abandoned or I, people thought I was too much or I wasn't enough. And you're always trying to be more than, than you are, like, you know, or, or I'm not enough, which is a lot of imposter syndrome. I don't know if you talk about that. I did a whole episode on imposter syndrome. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. And that's impacted by those lenses. I think that's really interesting that you bring that up because we had a guest on 
a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking about lenses the same way. He was talking about karmic imprints mm -hmm. and how our karmic imprint, it's sort of the same way. It's like if you would smudge your glasses or smudge the lens, it distorts the way like that you're able to see out of that lens mm -hmm. and you have to kind of clear away that karmic imprint in the same way that you're comparing that to, well, the lenses are past and how we're looking through it does distort the way that we see things or how we react to things. So how do you get to the place where people are able to change the lens? What are some tools or some tricks or tips that you do to work with people? So in psychology, one of the things is being able to see, being able to see how you behave. So in the woo-woo sense, it's being able to see yourself in third person. So it's not that you're splitting yourself, but it's being able to, when you're having a hard time, try to stop and imagine that you're looking at yourself from the outside. What does my face look like? And then, you know, what, what's my gestures? What's going on? And then I, you can look at your inside through third person. Oh, a part of me is feeling angry. A part of me is feeling frustrated. So it's trying to differentiate that it's not that I'm frustrated. I'm angry. What's wrong with me? No one likes me. No one can handle me. And when we start down that road, oh man, do we go down the rabbit hole? But if we can stop and go, oh, a part of me is feeling this way. A part of me is reacting this way. A part. So that saying the part helps to differentiate and I always tell people, and I say this in my book a lot, if you can't see it, you can't change it. That is so true. And that's one thing that I've talked about before in this podcast is if you're in the emotional state, you can't think logically or reasonably about a problem. And so the solution isn't going to come to you because you're looking at it from the wrong perspective. Um, and so I think that your example of just a part of you is feeling this way and look at it like a third party. That's such great advice because a lot of people don't do that. And so they feel constantly attacked mm -hmm. when really that's not what's going on. It's just how they're perceiving the situation to happen. And I've been guilty of that myself. Oh yeah, me too. Another, you know, I always tell everybody, like we all have problems. I always, my sons say they're going to put this on my tombstone. I always say everyone's poop smells. <laughs> including myself. So it is being able to look at that. And so here's the thing is people want a quick fix. They think, oh, well, if I do that for one day, then I should be able to see it and change it. No, because th you know, there's a neurological pathways in our brain that when something happens, it could be the tone of voice of your partner. It could be a certain color sweater that someone wore and you're already feeling vulnerable. It could be the sound you hear that creates this neurological um, current in your brain where you feel X and then your brain instantly goes in that neurological pathway and it's really hard to get out of it. So two things I wanted to share. Science actually does talk about how we pass um, emotions, trauma and experiences and gifts and knowledge through our DNA. So the yogis and the woo-woo world has been saying this for years and science has been catching up and saying, yes, it is true that that can be passed through our DNA. And a good example is 
you know, I come from a long line of controlling women, but I've worked on not being as controlling, but oh man, was my great grandma super controlling. I mean, she was a Yugoslavian woman, immigrant and, you know, raising six kids. I mean, whoo, she was very controlling. So what happens is that once you can say that a part of me feels this way and that becomes more familiar, then you can reflect after the event and say, okay, I acted this way how would I like to act? And a big thing to ask yourself is what is my objective out of the situation? And that sometimes is a, a roundabout way to figure out how you want to change. That's really good. And I understand the controlling thing too. Yes. I had a very controlling mother, <laughs> love her to death. Yep. But I, you know, I find myself in certain ways, you know, I'll think, oh, ooh, there's like a chill down your spine, like, oh, when did my mother's voice come out of my right, mouth? Right. <laughs> so we're literally fighting biology sometimes in the yeah. things that we do. So that's a great way to get back to that though, it is what do you want the end result to be? And, you know, when you look at it that way, you realize, okay, well, what I'm doing is not gonna get me that result. Right. And, you know, often when we get our feelings hurt, we get triggered, we get upset, our natural reaction is to be defensive. And defense creates conflict every single time. Yeah, so that makes sense it, too. Yeah, we have to learn not, I tell clients all the time, don't bite the bait. And, you know, and that is that piece of, but they did, oh, but this, they should not, but really, the minute you get defensive, you're on that, you're in, you know, you're down the rabbit hole, as I like, as I like to say. Yeah. Yeah. I, I dealt with a very toxic ex-partner. And so one of the things about it was that I realized rather quickly that I, if you lose your emotions and, and you allow yourself to get angry or defensive or whatever, you're being manipulated and you're easily manipulated. And the only way to stop it was to have no reaction, like mm -hmm. to be the coldest fish that there could ever be was the only thing that stopped it. Mm -hmm. But yeah. I mean, it, it, I, I would have been one of those people who said, what, whatever, that doesn't work. You know, when people say, well, don't play the game, don't react, you know, because I had a brother growing up who was older, who would just bug the heck out of my sister and I, you know, like, I'm not touching you and all of those things that brothers do to just annoy you. And my mom would always say, just don't react to him. And I would think, whatever, mom, that doesn't work. But then I found out in that relationship, that was what worked was to stop having a reaction because he knew exactly which buttons to push. And when I stopped reacting, it was like the buttons disappeared and he didn't know what to do anymore. That would make me upset. You know, and that's part of, I know that you talk about this in your podcast a lot, which is awareness and being self-aware, we realize sometimes a lot of times things don't matter. Like the things that we get upset about, the things we get all worked up about, the things we react is just like, we create this big stories inside of us. And that's where biology kind of gets in the way is our minds are so powerful that you think something long enough, your body will react and fight or flight. Your body, your stomach will clench. You might even, you know, have a little sweat. And then you think, oh, 
it's true what I'm thinking. No, it's not. It's just that your mind's so powerful. I always tell people, go to Netflix, go on, you know, go to the movie theaters, all these wild, crazy, you know, movies and shows come out of someone's brain. So our minds are pretty powerful. So coming back to that awareness concept, it's about, well, how do we, how does one become aware? And that's where the tools in my book and that I teach with my clients, which is meditation. And there's different kinds of meditation. There's silent meditation, there's chanting meditation, there's moving meditation, there's prayer meditation, there's lots of different kinds. And they have found that with meditation over a period of time of practicing it, you can actually change the neurological pathways in your brain. So, but again, it's not one time, it's, right. it's that repetitive repeating of the same, you know, chanting or breath and, you know, or movement that helps over time to, be, and to become more aware so that then you can react different because you're then responding instead of reacting. And then over time, that changes how the brain reacts to the sounds, the sweater color or the words or whatever that trigger might have been. Yeah. And do you have any tips for, let's say, anyone who maybe experiences panic attacks? Yes. And a quick way to bring them out of that state. So there's a couple of them. One is, and this has happened as a, you know, as a psychotherapist, I do get sometimes texts like, oh my God, I'm having a panic attack and I can't function. And my breathe, you know, I'm breathe, I can't stop breathing heavy. And they just you can hear, you know, yeah, not that I'm hearing them. I can read the text, they're just escalating and es escalating. So here are some yogic tips, and then I'll give some psychological tips. So you know, some yogic tips is, is if you're home or you're going home and you're having a full-blown panic attack you think that you know you think you're having a heart attack your your breathing has changed you're sweating or your hands are cold or you're nervously looking around you can't get to your center no matter what you do you try meditating and guess what it's making it worse which can happen that's called relaxation induced anxiety so what you do, this is kind of a weird one, is that you jump in a, well, you first have a big glass of water, like a good eight ounces, and you drink it really fast because you want to flush out your kidneys. And the yogis believe that the kidneys hold the emotion of fear. So when you, water can be a conduit to change. Water can be a healing for change. So you drink a big glass of water, not soda, not milk. It's got to be water. You chug that big glass down and then you hop in a cold shower and you rub your body as you're in the cold shower. It doesn't have to be for a long time. It could be three minutes, but you're in there and you're rubbing and you're breathing. But that shock of the cold water shocks your nervous system to be able to come back into alignment. When you get out of the shower, you're toweling off. You're consciously focusing on your, on your breath, big belly, inhale, exhale, pull that navel into the back of the spine. The yogis believe that that activates the awareness kundalini energy, which resides three inches below the belly button. So that breathing helps to activate it. After that, you're going to go pee and you're going to empty your bladder because remember you have that big glass of water and it flushes you. It sounds interesting, but I've had clients do this and then they tell them to go for a walk and just, you know, name tree, you know, 
pretty flowers and get yourself out of your body, out of your mind and be walking. And sure enough, 30 minutes later, half, you know, 45 minutes later, oh, Mother Nan, I feel so much better. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I could see why that would definitely bring you out of that. Um, because we have to take our attention away from where we're stuck. So the resetting the central nervous system is super important for that. I wouldn't like the cold shower part, but <laughs> I know. And, and again, this is like, these are, you know, sometimes desperate times call for desperate measures oh, for, sure, for sure. And I, I think, you know, I definitely try it. I'm a big proponent of try it once, you know, if some things work for some people and not for others, you have to really try all the tools in your toolbox to see what really works for you, because you'll find tools that are awesome and they're amazing for you. And you may find some and then you go, I don't, it doesn't really help me. That's okay. It's not a one size fits all. You'll mm -hmm. find some that do and some that don't. So try them all, even the cold shower, because you yeah. never know how that might help you. And, you know, or maybe if it's not a full blown panic, you just try the glass of water. You know, the psychologically, if you're really, if you're not so lost in your panic where you're thinking I'm going to die, which is often like the, the worst panic, you can work with yourself by writing down this is a psychological intervention. You write down the negative thoughts you're having. This is a David Burns intervention, who's a like one of the founders of cognitive behavioral therapy. So you write down the negative thoughts and then you ask, you write, make a list, and then you go back to the first one. You ask, on a scale of zero to hundred, how much do I believe this right now? And you might say, I believe it's hundred percent. You know, and then you can ask yourself. Well, what's the opposite of this? Something that's positive that would knock this out of the ballpark. And then you would say, okay, you think of something, you write it down next to it, and you ask yourself on a scale of zero to 100, how strongly do I believe this positive cognition, this positive thought? Or I only believe it 3%. Okay, so then you would ask yourself, what would I need to do or say to myself that would help this number go up? What would, I need to what would I need to do or say that would help me believe this positive thought more? And, and you would write, you know, you would, okay, well, maybe if I went for a walk, okay, well, then you go put on your shoes, put on your jacket, walk out your door, walk around the block three times, come back, look at your positive thought and ask yourself, hmm, on a scale of zero to hundred, how strongly do I believe this? Oh, I, I believe it 35%. Okay, read your negative thought. How strong do you believe that now? Okay, now it's 85%. So you can do, and his book does that as well, but that's just, that is something that you can do. It's a very behavioral, you know, psychotherapy, but that's hard to do if you're having a full-blown panic attack. That's maybe more for like anxiety and so forth. So I like the yoga, the yogic techniques, even though they're weird and wacky and woo-woo, you know, try them and see how it works. Yeah, I can see why they would be effective. I really can. Um, what do you suggest for someone who is maybe feeling like they're stuck and they can't get out of this depression or anxiety? Because I know personally, my children have both suffered from that. Unfortunately, it was a hereditary thing for them. Um, and it's, it's very difficult. I have had them 
you know, I taught in the same school with them last year and coming to me like I need to go home. I'm having these panic attacks and or I'm just not feeling well. So I know as a parent how awful it is to watch somebody go through that. So if someone is in the throes of just depression that they just feel like they can't get out of. Do you have any advice for them? Yeah, well, there's two things that I would like to talk about is the word depression and the word stuck. So the first thing to really work on would be the word stuck. It's almost like that's, you know, if, if you do depression before stuck, it's like putting the, the cart before the horse. So the word stuck is often when we, we can feel paralyzed and we feel like we can't see any solutions to get out of how I'm feeling. And so um, yogically, we believe that that has to do with the lack of creativity and a lack of creative energy inside of you. And um, creativity is a very, very important part of being human to the journey of happiness because it is in creativity that we're able to see outside the box. If we feel stuck, we're often saying, I'm so depressed. What's wrong with me? I'm so depressed. I can't get out of it. I'm just depressed. And all of a sudden we're in a box with no windows and no doors and we're just quote unquote depressed. And when we're there, that stuck feeling is that there's no creativity to be able to think outside the box to create change. And so the thing to do would be to, to, um, activate or work on your creativity. So some of the things that you can do, you know, psychological kind of traditional would be, you know, going for a walk, doing coloring, like, you know, coloring got super popular in the last five to, you know, so years. But even though it's like, it's already a picture, but you're filling in the colors and you're picking it, it's simple, but it, it helps to create that creative energy. The yogic tradition is, is that creativity is part of the second energy center, the chakra, and that by activating that energy center that you're able to create more creativity in your life. So often, you know, doing spinal flex, which is you could be sitting on a chair, you'd have your hands on your thighs, your spine is straight, you try to keep your ear, shoulders and hips aligned. And you would inhale as you bring your chest forward. And you would exhale as you curve your spine, keeping your head forward, you'd be inhaling forward, exhaling back, and you would visualize the energy moving in the lower triangle, which is the first, second and third and moving that energy up. So that would be more somatic work of getting into the body, but you're visualizing the energy moving. The other thing I also do is, is that there's another exercise um, where you do ego eradicator, which is an exercise where you bring your hands, um, your, your, your fingers curl into the top part of your hand with the thumbs out. You bring your hands, arms up to a V out from the shoulders above you, kind of like, like Wonder Woman stands, but your hands are your fingers are curled in and you hold this posture and you're doing breath of fire, which is a quick breath in and out through the nose. A mouth is closed. And you would do that steady breath. The best way to practice it is you pant like a dog. Then you close your mouth and you would continue that same rhythm. So again, you're, you're using your breath to activate your navel center by also activating your first, your second chakra. 
The reason your arms are out is that helps to expand your magnetic field, which is the, your aura around you. So even science talks about everything has a magnetic field. When we feel depressed and stuck, our magnetic field most likely is weak and kind of dull, maybe has little holes in it and we're just feeling stuck in that. So you wanna do things that are very expansive. Tai Chi is a good exercise because it's very much of the hands and the motion of movement that helps also to strengthen your magnetic field. Ego Eradicator does that. So you're working on getting energy flow moving so that your creativity gets activated. And then when you're feeling more creative, but still depressed, you're able to go, huh, okay, there's no walls and no window, excuse me, there's no, no windows and no doors, but wait a minute, the top of the box is open. There's no roof. So I can get out of my depression and I can, do, you know, and then you go into the, the next stage. Um, one last little tidbit that I, um, I've, re I've learned recently, which is there's four things that we can do daily that help us to be less depressed and set us up for success, which is daily meditation, good sleep, gratitude, and exercise. Yeah, that's great. I think having a routine of things that you do every day to keep you centered and balanced and grounded is really important, especially if you already know that oh, I'm prone to depression and to these things. It's important to have those things in place. I love those ideas. I've never done Tai Chi before, but I love the movement thing. I'm all about that. Like whenever, if I'm having a bad day, I like dancing, like that's my thing, yeah. I love it. So Zumba is like my thing because it's exercising, but it's also dancing. And so, you know, I'm dancing like nobody's watching. Right. And uh, it's making me feel better, you know, and I'm doing something that I know is good for my body. So I think it's kind of twofold, you know, not only are you doing something that's going to help you and your mind and expand your creativity and all of that, but it's also going to make you feel better because when we do things that are good for our bodies, don't you just automatically sometimes feel like, yeah, I, I'm a rock star today because I drank water or because I did, you know, something that I know I should do that's healthy. For, at least I do. Maybe I'm just a nor, uh, nerd, but. No, I mean, <laughs> there's things that happen in our brain that create that, that response. I mean, exercise does change the brain, drinking healthy, you know, drinking water, eating healthy foods, make sure we're getting lots of good proteins. All of that helps our mood. Sleep, um, I read another very interesting thing a while ago. They say if you have a bad sleep in one night, it decreases your immune system by 35 to 40% wow. one night. Wow. I mean, that's crazy. Do you know how many people have trouble every single night? Oh, I know, I know. My daughter did for like a year. It's, she yeah. had people sleeping. She just could not. And I know a big part of hers, again, is like everything was off and she had the depression thing going on. And when you're going through depression, uh, your sleep patterns are usually off because you either want to sleep all the time mm -hmm. as you're sleeping when you shouldn't be sleeping, you know, especially if you're a teenager, you know, if you're an adult, usually you have responsibilities, you have to get out and you have to go and do things. But teenagers, you know, it was hard for me to even know that there was depression going on because what do teenagers get accused of doing all the time, right? Like sleeping in, sleeping late. So that is a sign that 
definitely parents need to look for is that if your child's sleeping an excessive amount or seems to, it's really a fine line though. It's hard to tell with teenagers. It is. I mean, I think part of it is, is are they getting restful sleep and um, are they able to relax? That's a big thing. If they're not relaxing, then that, that creates, that creates an emotional shift where you're off. It's like, it's like, you know, like you think of like a bicycle and you have the track that gets, keeps, you know, helps to make the two wheels go. If the track's off, if that chain is off the track, you can't get the wheels moving. So it is about getting, helping, making sure that we are on track. Um, You know, in my book, I have a lot of chanting meditations and often people are like, oh, that's so weird. I don't feel comfortable. And, and I always tell people, you know what, two things. One is chanting has been around since the beginning of religion, since the beginning of time, singing hymns in church, reading the Bible or Holy Scriptures out loud as a congregation or community is basically chanting meditation. But, you know, we've gotten rid of, you know, a lot of people have moved away from religion for lots of reasons and still chanting meditation still is really good for us. And so science actually backs that up because science has done a research study I, I talk about this in my book where when you chant and you hear your own voice, you actually increase the white matter. You actually increase the white matter in the upper partial part of the brain and white matter helps us to emotionally process life. And the more white matter we have, the more ability we have to emotionally look at things and not get sucked down the rabbit hole. Because life, you know, life is still going to have crises. Life's still going to have problems. We can't get away from that. So the chanting helps us actually create change in our brain. And so I tell people, you know, if it's new for you, you know, um, I recorded all the chants for the book. Just start with listening. And then maybe two days later, mouth along. And then maybe you're going to whisper along and then maybe you chant. And when you feel really comfortable and you've been doing it for a while chanting, try it without the music and just go acapella because hearing your own voice also creates this real connection to your soul, a real connection between body, mind, and spirit. Yeah, I love chanting. Um, I have several recordings that I listen to. And sometimes when I'm like, even just in the bathtub relaxing, I'll listen to it and kind of sing along with it. Mm -hmm. And it completely changes my attitude. Like I feel so much better when I do that. I recommend it all the time. I love chanting. It, it, It just I, it just helps us. Your mind, here's the thing is your mind thinks in polarities. Your mind thinks right, wrong, good, bad, stop, go up, down. It, it always will because if the mind stopped, we would all, we would just die because our mind's keeping our heart going. It's, you know, it's keeping me sitting in my chair than falling over and, you know, on the ground. So part about the thing with chanting also gives our mind something to do. And this is good for depression when we might just be, you know, ruminating about negative thoughts about ourselves or events from the past or anxiety where we're just, you know, we're ruminating about the what ifs. There's a lot of, especially with COVID, I've been seeing a lot of anticipatory fear because we just don't know. There's a lot of unknowns right now and humans don't like unknowns. We like things to be a certain way that if you know, one plus one is two, and we don't want that to change. But with COVID, 
there's a lot of uncertainty more you know more than ever at least the last time was probably world war ii so with these uncertainties it's about giving our minds when you find yourself ruminating overthinking over worrying chanting or repeating a mantra or repeating an affirmation again and again and again it helps to change when you have a negative thought it's not enough just to say one positive thought you have to come up with three three positive thoughts to knock a negative thought out of the ballpark yeah absolutely well if somebody wants to buy your book, because it sounds like you have so much helpful and useful information in your book, if they wanted to purchase your book or follow you, how can they do that? So they can go to my website, mutternan.com, and I set, I have free shipping anywhere in the United States. And you also can get my book on Amazon, of course, as well. And they, if you have Prime, you have free shipping. But I, I offer free shipping as well anywhere. And then um, I'm on Facebook and Instagram, but I'm more active on Instagram. And that would just be my name, Mother Nan. Okay, awesome. Well, I want to thank you so much for being here. This is such a great conversation. So I always ask my guests this, but if you could leave our audience members today with one piece of advice or some words of wisdom, what would that be? I want to leave two. So two quotes that I love. One is, um, breathing keeps you alive, meditation keeps you sane. And one of my mothers, which is life without crises is life in a coffin. Oh, I love both of those. Very nice. Well, thank you again so much for being with us today. I am looking forward to continuing reading your book. And I know that there are probably a lot of people out there who are going to go rush and purchase it. So I hope you do because this was such a great conversation and I can't wait to for people to expand on that. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I forgot to say my book comes with 37 digital downloads free with the book. So you're getting a book and you're getting 37 meditation files oh, awesome. for free with the book. That is amazing. I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on your show. And I want to thank all of you for being here with us today, too. As always, if you like this podcast, please subscribe. Please leave a positive review from wherever you're listening. You can leave me some stars on iTunes. The best, best compliment you can pay me is to refer me to others. So thank you for those of you who've already done that. Don't forget to follow me on social media. I go live Mondays at 6.30 Central on Facebook where I do a free card reading. And if you show up for the live, I'll pull a card especially for you. Also, if you want to work with me, you can go to my website, melissaoatman.com. There you'll see all the services I offer and you can book directly from my website. If you want to download the free Heart Chakra Guided Meditation, you can do that. You can click on the link in the show notes and you can put in your email and it will send you that free Heart Chakra Meditation just for you. Thank you guys so much. I hope that you have a beautiful day from wherever you're listening. As always, I am sending you so much love and light and I will talk to you soon. Bye guys.